Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you've seen we've been uh, having a little bit of fun, like lightly torturing some of the people here at Harbor Church. Uh, It's been a great excuse for me to watch people suffer, which I enjoy. Uh, I'm pretty open about that. Um, (laughs) Should I start over? Hi, guys. My name is Katie Rose. We're nice to people. Don't talk to me, but talk to anyone else. They're super nice. We've been in this mind game series, and each week we've invited four different people from here in Harbor Church to come and play a game, a mind game, a kind of unique challenge. They've all been different. They've all been kind of weird. That's kind of what we do. Um, So we looked at the power of prayer uh, in the face of our problems. We took a look at God's plan for us with the flowers and the path and and how to see what next steps he has for us. Last week we took uh, took a look at... um, what it looks like to take our shot, um, to take those steps of faith and to know how good is good enough and, and how to put in the effort that pleases God and gets us on his path. Um, and this week, we'll be looking at a game. We've invited some contestants in, but the truth that we'll be digging into is this idea that, you know, we're taking steps, uh, we're moving forward, but man, sometimes it feels like we are walking in the dark. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm Sometimes I'm walking around and like, man, I hope I don't just smash into a wall because I don't know where I'm going. Like, God, I trust you. I believe that you're at work. I believe you have this bigger plan, and I believe that you see it, but I, if I'm honest, I don't see it right now. I don't know what the next step is. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at, this idea that we're walking in darkness, and John 8, 12 tells us that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. So what does that mean? How do we grasp onto that light? How do we actually follow Jesus and know what step to take when it feels like we cannot see what's next or what's coming. Uh, Our contestants this week were limited in their vision in one way or another. Uh, We've got Sam, Justin, Scott, and Marilyn, a killer squad if you ask anybody. Um, They showed up uh, and were faced with a mind game with a challenge um, and were forced, this is probably the wrong word, but they were a little bit forced to move forward uh, with the challenge even though they could not quite see uh, what was in front of them. Check this out and then we'll get into the message. I will be your taskmaster today. You can grab a seat right here. Thank you. It's for you. Find a clue on the easel in front of you. You can open it up. If you'd read it out loud and begin. Create the best drawing of the person on the other side of the curtain. You may not look at the person. The person may only say yes and no. You will get bonus points if you can find out the person's full name. You have 10 minutes. Your time starts now. Hello. No. All right. I can't look at the person? Nope. Okay. What's up, fam? How are we doing? It's good to see you guys again. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Listen, um, this this week is is a different week, and and for a couple reasons. One, you're going to help us decide the winner of this week's game. Uh, but two, it's um, it's it's a it's a mind game in the fact that like you have to you have a job you have to do, and we are not going, we're not going to give you everything you need to do it well. 
Like in all the other games, there is a way to accomplish it. This one, you, you, you do not get to look behind the curtain. You cannot know what the right answer is or what the, what the actual person looks like. You're just going to have to figure it out as best as you can, but you're working blind. And the reason I love this game, and especially this weekend, is because the topic or the game of, of trying to draw somebody who you can't see links into where we've been walking through these studies where we talked about prayer and not knowing how to handle battles. We talked about, um, you know, taking steps and, and not even knowing the correct path for those steps. But then we, 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 we realized that God's given us a Bible that opens up paths to us. And then last week we talked about this idea of, of how good is good enough? How do you take the shot that you're supposed to take? And when do you do that? And what's that look like? And how many do you do? And this week, we're kind of addressing, as Katie mentioned, a struggle that all of us have, or I think that many of us have, and that is going like, I know that there's something to do. I'm just not sure if this is the right way, or, or am I making God happy? What she read to you from John 8, 12, it said, remember, she, she told you this is a, these are the words of Jesus, he goes, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because I have the light that leads to life. So if I don't have to walk in darkness, then why, why is everything such a struggle? Like, why, why, is, why is my life not a lot easier? I'm, I'm, I, if I know Jesus, which is what Jesus is saying, if I walk with him, then I don't have to be in darkness. And yet... If I'm honest, there's times I just do not know what's going on, besides being clueless. I mean, on a bigger level, like, I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I can't see what he sees. There's a, a story that I used, an illustration that I used before, and it's a, it's a popular one. There's a little boy watching TV, and I, I even had the same experience as a kid where there, his mom was sitting over there doing one of those needlework kind of uh, things. I don't even know what they're called. I don't, those of you that are like getting wicked offended that I don't know the terminology. But you know, you pull the needle in and you pull the needle out and you pull the needle in and you pull the needle out. Needlepoint, cross stitch, the weird, weird old lady stuff, okay? Um, <laughs> for what it's worth. Listen, I'm not mad. My mom did it. My sister did it. Whatever. It's still weird. And you know, at the end, they're like, look, like, look, I sewed. And they put it in a frame. It's like, that's like people who do a puzzle and then they frame it like, oh. <laughs> it's awesome if you do it I'm not trying to offend you I love you um, but I remember watching my mom do those and the story goes that there's a boy that's watching his mom you know uh, do the needlework needlepoint whatever it is and he's just looking at it and after a couple days of her working on this he looks over and he's like that, she is not good at all if you look at the back side of one of those, it's just a conglomeration of like threads everywhere. It looks like just a mess, a garbage mess of crap. And that kid, and for a kid to look and be like, that's bad. I mean, kids, they, no matter what they draw, it goes up on the refrigerator like it's the greatest art that anybody's ever seen. So the kid's like, oh, mom. You're putting a lot of time into something that doesn't look good at all. And as the story goes, the mom says like, well, hey, you, you just aren't looking at it from my perspective. You don't see what I see. You only see it from there. And, you know, you turn around, obviously, it makes this beautiful, weird needle point thing. You know, it's beautiful. Um, 
And the reason I tell you that is because that, that, is, that, is, that is basically the ongoing conversations we have with God. We are so down in the weeds in our life where like my life right now doesn't make sense. In this moment, God, everything kind of sucks. This is scary. This is confusing. This is angry. I don't see where this leads. We are so down in the weeds, we forget that God is 30,000 feet up painting a mosaic with our life and that we, we get all upset. We get, all, we get scared. We get angry. And yet he's like, you don't see what I see. And see, this is where faith comes in. And we talked about this last week. Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, verse number one, describes it this way. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, but what? But it's the evidence of things we cannot see. So even when I have faith, there are things I can't see. Now, wait a second. You just read a verse that said, if I have Jesus, I don't have to walk in darkness. Yes, and now I'm telling you there's a verse that says part of your faith is that you don't get to see all the way ahead. Like you, you don't know everything that's coming. You just have to trust that God does. But that's really confusing. And, and 1 Corinthians 14 says that God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. But I'm confused. If I walk with Jesus, I don't walk in darkness. But if I have faith, then I have to believe there's things I can't see. So the Bible talks about spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness. And they use these words interchangeably. When you can't see what's coming, when you don't have perception or the ability to perceive the things going on around you, you're spiritually blind or spiritual or spiritually dark but it's not just spiritual darkness there's also another kind now the first kind is alluding to your eternal faith this is what the bible's talking about in second corinthians chapter four in second corinthians 4 4 it says satan that's the devil who is the god of this world lowercase g he has blinded the minds of those who don't believe those people are unable to see the glorious light of the good news they don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. See, that is spiritual darkness. And there's some of you, maybe some of you watching, welcome, by the way, those of you on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast. There might be some of you here today that are spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness means you cannot see the truth of God's love for you. You cannot see the, the light of Jesus Christ for who he is and the call that he has on our life to repent. Spiritual blindness means that you do not see and or believe or recognize Jesus Christ as the son of God and the only solution to your sin. You are spiritually blind. So a lot of this doesn't make sense to you. You're like, I don't get this. Go to church thing and sing songs thing and trust Jesus thing like this none of it makes sense because you're spiritually blind you haven't had your eyes open to the truth the light of who Jesus is and what a relationship with him looks like so there's spiritual blindness and some of you find yourselves there but what Jesus says he goes I'm the light of the world and if you follow me you don't have to stay in darkness he's talking about you don't have to be in spiritual blindness and yet the Bible still talks about 
people who have a blindness or a darkness to them and an inability to perceive. So there's a spiritual darkness, but there's also a circumstantial or a directional, a situational blindness, as you will. There's a great story that that, uh, uh, alludes to this, and I'll read it in a second, but I want you to understand Jesus is talking here in John chapter 9, verse 39. He says, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are actually blind. Now, who do you think he was talking about? He's talking about church people. You know the people who frustrated Jesus the most while he was here on earth? It was the religious people, the people who went to church all the time, the people who knew so much about God that they thought they saw everything. And when you think you see everything, you don't realize that you really see very little. He says, I came for the blind, but I also came for the people who think that they see everything and let them know you really don't get it. I think that's the problem with our churches today with quote unquote Christians, people who say they've put their faith in Jesus. They either really haven't and they're still spiritually blind or they have trusted Christ, but now they're living in a, in a situational darkness where they don't really know how to go forward. And I might have just described your own walk with God. Like, I like me some Jesus. I feel, I feel like God's the right answer. I, I feel like I've trusted him. I believe in my heart that he's my Savior and my Lord. But I, man, I don't know what to do. Now, by the way, this isn't always, this isn't like it's a punishment. Remember, God's not the author of confusion. He's not, he's not wanting you to be confused. He may be allowing you to go through a season where you don't see the end result? We'll come back to this again at the end. That doesn't mean that he wants you in darkness. It just may mean that he's taking you around the pen to get you tired out. If you read the story in Exodus, he takes the children of Israel on a really long 40-year journey in the wilderness to get them to a place where they were actually ready to step into the promised land. So if you're out there going, I feel like I'm wandering in this, well, maybe you're just a a hard-headed, slow learner. So he's trying to get you ready for it. There's a great illustration of this. If you, if you read your Bible, there's a great picture of, of this exact thing happening. And it's, it's the story of, of the man that we know as Paul. Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So, I mean, talk about a man of God. He became the most famous missionary of all time. The dude did some amazing things. But before he became Paul the Apostle... He was Saul, a member of the Sanhedrin, Saul, a church person, Pharisee, Saul, a giant jerk. He actually, the early church, if you read the book of Acts, it talks about the early church and how they were growing and people were coming to know Jesus and a man named Stephen goes to his local synagogue and he starts telling his fellow church members, his fellow church people about Jesus Christ and that Jesus really is the son of God and he starts defending his faith and they couldn't say anything, they couldn't say anything to refute him so they stone him to death. They kill him in Acts chapter 8 and Paul, before his name is Paul, is Saul, Saul stands there, holds their coats, and is completely on board with them murdering him. So much so, he's so empowered by them killing 
this follower of Jesus that he wants to make it his mission to kill more of them. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. That is saying his entire personality, his whole driving force for existing was to kill Christians. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Eager. He, he looked at it as this was the right thing to do. So he went to the high priest and he, requ he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. Now that might be weird to you, but before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way, believers of the way. Now why were they called that? Because Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father was him. So he was the way. They were followers of the way. Later on, they get their names changed to Christians. And Christians just means little Christ or Christ-like because we are supposed to emulate Christ. But before we ever got that name, it was followers of the way. And he's like, I'm going to kill as many of these followers of the way, and I'm going to imprison the ones that I don't kill. He wanted, it says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So we get his motive. We understand how he's living his life. His perception, while he is spiritually blind, he thinks this is, one, this is, this is what's important. Some of you are still in that place. You have the wrong perception of what is really important. So, it says, as he was approaching Damascus, this is the conversion on the road to Damascus. He was on his way, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Boom. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. I always picture Mufasa's voice here. Saul, Saul. You know, thunder and rumbling. Why are you persecuting me? I want you guys to pay attention to the words. We're going to come back and we're going to break this down. Now, he says, he says why are you persecuting me? Who? Who are you, Lord? The light's blinding. He's closing his eyes. He's like, who, who are you? Who am I persecuting? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men with Saul, he has other guys in this entourage on this trip to, to Damascus, they stood speechless, verse 7 says. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now he's, he's come to realize, he's had his conversion. He realizes that Jesus really is the Son of God and that he was on the wrong side. And where has that left him? As a new believer, he is blind. And he's... He's now begun a fast. For three days, he doesn't eat or drink. He's just praying. God, I, I, 
I thought, I thought you were the problem, but now I see you're the answer. I thought I was on the right path, but I realized that was the wrong path. I, I thought, God, that I, I saw things clearly, but now I realize I didn't. And please, God, let me see again. If you would just let me see again. I don't know what he was praying, but man, I could imagine he prayed a bunch of different things. Just in the darkness, wandering through the darkness, going, man, I don't like this feeling. I am so, in this moment, scared humbled, confused, curious. Now remember, God's plan for Saul's life was not that he was scared and nervous and confused and, 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 and wallowing on the floor, nervous and anxious and in pain. God has some amazing plans for, for Saul, soon to become Paul. But during this short window of three days, he's blind. He doesn't know. Now, I want to read the rest of the story, then we'll come back and, and, and break it apart. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. He's there for three days, not eating or drinking. And it says uh, in verse number 10, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Now, there's a good Ananias in the Bible and a bad Ananias in the Bible. This is the good one. I don't want you to get them confused, okay? The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling out, Ananias! Yes, Lord. Always a good reply if God calls you out by name. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, hey, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judah. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. <laughs> I just love how good God is. Do you realize that God can do two things at once? That is beyond most of us. Try talking to me on the phone and having one of my kids in the room. I can't, I don't know, I can't, you know, like too, too much, too much input, too much, too much noise. God is omnipotent and omnipresent. He can do all things anywhere at all times. This is what you need to understand. Why Paul was in the middle of praying. While he was praying, God, 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 I need my eyesight. God, would you please give me my eyesight back? God was answering his prayer before he even finished his prayer. I don't think you understand. Sometimes God might already have sent the solution long before you've even finished the prayer. One of the best examples I've ever heard of this is, is, is in, is in uh, Genesis when Joseph gets thrown into a pit by his brothers. They throw him into a deep pit and they're getting ready to kill him. And at the moment they're getting ready to kill him, they see this caravan coming by and they decide instead of kill him, let's sell him for some money. How long do you think that caravan had been on the road? Two hours? They'd been doing that for two months. Long before Joseph ever got in the pit, God had sent him the deliverance from the pit. He just didn't know that. It's important that you understand that God's perspective is 30,000 foot uh, view of, of your whole life. He's already sees, oh, she's about to fall in there. I better send somebody to come get her. So I sent them on their way there. When you were way back here thinking you saw everything clearly and didn't need me, I already started sending you help because I knew where you would be a long time from now. Just a little side point. Take it for as you want. He says, there's a guy there. And he's praying to me right now, and I want you to go lay your hands on him because he's blind and he, he needs help. But Lord, <coughs> excuse me, God, um, Ananias, ex Ananias exclaimed, I've heard a lot of people talk about the terrible things that that man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized, I don't know if you know this, God, but I think I should educate you, Lord, so that you change your mind about the things that you're asking me to do, said nobody in this room ever. 
But God, I don't know if you know this, but he has papers. He's been authorized by the leading priest to arrest anybody here in Damascus that calls on your name. And you're asking me to go call on, his, on your name directly in front of him. It's not just that I'm supposed to do the, bad, the thing that he thinks is bad. I'm supposed to go touch him while I do it. <laughs> Sounds like a really not good idea, God. I could see if you said, Ananias, keep praying, and I'd pray right here quietly where he can't find me. Or even go outside of his house and then pray real loud so he hear me, but then I can run away before he can catch me. But you want me to go in the house and touch him? I don't think this is going to work out the way you think it's going to work out, God. Now, I know none of us here would ever do that, where we tell God that his plan is not as good as our plan. But on the off chance that maybe you reach that temptation one day, I want you to remember this story. But Lord, he's going he's gonna to arrest anybody who calls on your name. Verse 15, but the Lord said, I want you to understand that this entire book is a book of but the Lord. Because you can almost always go backwards and it will be somebody stupid did something stupid, but the Lord. And it's so many times, anytime you come to that phrase, anywhere in any part of the Bible that you read it, just get excited. Because it's God about to be like, you don't get it, but here's what's going to happen. But the Lord said, go, go do what I told you to do. For Saul, this guy that you're afraid of, that you think is a bad guy, is actually my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Hey, it ain't about you, Ananias. Now, it's going to come back in a few minutes. Just hold it on in your memory. It's not about you. It's my plan. He's my instrument. It's my message. you got to remember who's God here, Ananias. Go do what I tell you to do. He's going to go do this. He's going to take the message to Gentiles, to kings, and to the people of Israel. Verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. I think that verse is weird. Why does God tell Ananias that? Because maybe Ananias is like, what? And he's like, oh, he's got to suffer? Well, in that case, like, <laughs> I don't think that was Ananias. I'm just saying some of us are like, like, oh. I think what Ananias, really what I think is happening here is God's like, you, you don't even have a clue what's about to happen. You go do what I told you to do, even if it scares you. And Saul is going to do what I tell him to do, even though it's going to end up killing him. This is not about either of you. And Ananias is kind of beginning to see things clearly, if you will. <laughs> All right. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, I want you to pay attention to the wording. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me. And, Paul, and Saul's probably like, how does this guy know this? It's almost like they serve the same God. The same God that you appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell, fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. It's almost like once you come to know Jesus, the next thing you do is get baptized. Man, if you were at Sunday night's baptism on the beach... I have never seen anything that epic as people no, finding Jesus and then going public with it. Go public with your faith. Just, you know what, you, you know where you were wrong. Now go, go start doing some right steps. Next right step is to get, get baptized. 
instantly the, the, the scales fell off of him. He gets up, he's baptized, and then in the next verse, 19, afterward he ate some food, which is always important. You get baptized and you eat some food. That's why we had, that's why we had cookies and brownies and stuff. We got to do better at that. We'll do even more food next time. You got to have some food, and it, he regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. In the last verse we're going to read, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he indeed is the Son of God. So this is a journey of Saul on his way to becoming Paul. From We started the chapter where he hates God and he's trying to kill followers of the church, the way, the early church here. And 20 verses later, He's with them ministering to the other people in Damascus. He was spiritually blind, and then he became directionally blind, and then he started getting on the right path. Sometimes seeing the light leaves you feeling in the dark. It's weird, right? Like, he sees the light of Jesus, and it left him blind. Because not all blindness and not all darkness in the Bible is spiritual. He's spiritually on the right path. He's now following Jesus, but he's blind, physically blind. But it's speaking to the fact that he doesn't see things clearly. God is, is teaching him for this three days of darkness. He's teaching him an incredibly important lesson. Now, Paul, or Saul, was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was an elite of an elite, he knew more Bible than all of us in this room put together. He knew the Bible. He had it memorized. He, he, he went to temple. He did all the rules. He was, I mean, talk about religious. He, he was beyond religious. And yet he still didn't see clearly. And now that he knows Jesus, God's got to help him go, hey, all the things you used to think you saw are not what you really see. And if you want to be used by me, it's not going to be about how religious you are. It's not going to be about all the things that you think you know. It's going to be about you willing to trust me and all that I do actually know. And his, his future use for God came down to these three days of him going, will I be humble enough to acknowledge that maybe I don't know everything? Maybe God's got a different way for me to look at the things that I think. You ready? The things I think I see and that I know right now may not be all there is to it. Maybe, maybe just God has something for you right here in this message, in this story of Saul, where he wants to start peeling back the fact that you are more biased or more stubborn in your view than he wants you to be. He's got something else for you to see, but you're so convinced that you know it all. So he can't use you to lead anybody else. I need you to understand, Saul knew so much about the Bible, and yet he wasn't ready to lead anybody to Christ because he had, a, he had the wrong perspective. Jesus actually alludes to this while he's teaching, and he upsets the religious people. His disciples come to him, Matthew chapter 15, verse number 12. The disciples came, and they asked him, Boss, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees with what you said? I love that Jesus is okay with offending some people. Would not have worked well in today's age, you know. We are easily offended by everything. Jesus is so intolerant, I can't believe him. I love his response. 
Every plant that's not planted by my heavenly father is going to get uprooted, so ignore them. Those guys don't really get what's going on. You can ignore them. Here's how he describes them. They are the blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. <clears throat> It'd be funny if he wasn't describing churches. That was commentary on churches. It's one blind person trying to lead another blind person. It's one person who doesn't get who God is and doesn't have a clear view and doesn't have a clear understanding leading another person who doesn't have a clear understanding. It's no wonder that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. When we don't really see what's going on and we do not have a clear perspective or a clear way to go, we struggle. That is you, that's me, that's our contestants. I want you to watch this video and watch them struggle to try to figure out who's behind the curtain or what that person looks like. And maybe you find some parallels to your own spiritual walk and what it's like trying to figure out what God has for you to do. Watch this and then we'll talk about it. I mean, that look at the person, the person may only say yes and no. Oh, are you a male? No. What color hair do you have? Do you want to say yes or no? How are you? No. <laughs> yes or no? Hard no to that one. Okay, yes, yes or no. no. Mm -hmm. Do you have long, uh, what do you look like? Yes or no. <laughs> oh, yes or no. Okay, so I'm just drawing a person. They can that say I yes or no. I think it's behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. Are you a boy or a girl? They can only say yes or no. Are you 5'10? No. <laughs> Very specific. Do you have blue eyes? No. Do you have bangs? No. Do you have freckles? No. Do you have lipstick on? No. Oh, crud. Okay. You're gonna have lipstick on today. There's too many tools around me right now. You're overwhelmed by I'm the options? There's too many, I need to start painting. Yeah, you do. All right, uh, what color eye? Uh, do you have blue eyes? No. You've had both your hands. <laughs> Yes. Do you have hands? There you go. Yes. <laughs> Our actress is not a professional. Do you have a nose ring? No. Oh, that would have been cool though, huh? That would have been really cool. Can I give you a nose ring? Yes. Three minutes. Oh. I have still, to draw something. Still not a thing on the old canvas. Because I don't know. Do you have a beard? No. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, Do you like a kayak? Yes. And you like the beach? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Do you go to Hyannis Main Street at all? Yes. Do you go to Katie's Ice Cream? Yes. Are you Katie? No. <laughs> Do you have a tattoo? Yes. You, on your face? No. Oh. <laughs> Would have been a dead giveaway. <laughs> Do you have clothes on? Yes. Um, what sports do you play? What do you... <laughs> you go to Harbor? Yes. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> Real slim. <laughs> Not as easy as you might think. Trying to figure out the answers. Trying to, trying to figure out exactly how to go forward when you can't see what it is you're supposed to be doing. 
Um, I also like that sometimes when I watch these, I'm like, oh, if I was them, I would have done this. If I was them, I would do this. Because a lot of times it's easier for us to figure out the way out of problems for everybody else's life. Like, here's how you should do your life better. Why don't you do it? Shut up. <laughs> I will solve all of your problems. I won't worry about my problems. I'll just solve yours for you. That's how it, that's how it feels, right? And we can, always, we can always do something better for everybody else, but when it comes to us and we struggle, we've got a million excuses why. I think when we're getting things wrong, we get more frustrated. When we, when, when we, are, when we come face to face with the fact that we do not see things clearly, it's humiliating. It's angering, it's frustrating. When you realize that maybe you're not always right. I see a lot of you write that down. Let's go back and look at this story really quick. Saul, verse number eight, picked himself up on the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. He expected to see, which you need to understand, he expected to see and then did not see. He thought things could go back to the way they were before he encountered Jesus. See, everything was the, this way, a certain way before he encountered Jesus. Then that light shined so bright. You can almost imagine he had to close his eyes, right? I mean, that's what happened. He's so bright. He's like, okay, okay, who are you? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Oh, crap. I've been on the wrong side of this. Now, he comes to realize that he's been wrong, and this is, this is his conversion. This is his story of coming to accept Christ as his Savior. It's the single most important decision you'll ever make. This is his story. We don't all have to have a road to Damascus version, but we have to have that moment where we realize, man, Jesus is Lord and I am not, and I shouldn't be the Lord anymore. I should, I should follow him. But here's the thing. Just because you've come to that realization doesn't mean that you see things clearly. How was he seeing things prior to this? Prior to this, he was convinced that he was fighting on God's side against this local church of the way. He was convinced that those people were his problem. The whole time that he thought he was fighting against people, he's actually fighting against the Lord. I say that because I know there's some of you living in spiritual darkness right now and you think your problem is everything but the fact that you and God are not on a, in a relationship. You're not on the same team as God. If you are not actively surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are enemies with God, the Bible says. So as much as you think it's you versus the world and it's you versus everybody else and all these other people, the people from your past or your family or the circumstances, they're all stepping on you and it's you versus everybody because that's what the world tells us. It's me versus all of you and I've got to look out for myself and you've got to look out for you and if you look out for you and I look out for me, then we're not on the same team so you're getting in the way of getting the resources that I want for me so everybody's my competition and, you know, and we're frustrated by all this and what's really going on is that we are at odds with God. Because once I truly understand who Jesus Christ is and, and I surrender to him, then all of my competitors now become my neighbors that I'm called to love. And I don't, start, I don't see the world as this giant every man for himself. I see it as, man, this, I've got a short window to tell other people about how they can be set free from that same mentality. But see, he needed to have his mind recalibrated. This is, this is, what, is, is, this is what I love about the book of Revelation. It, it starts... The book of Revelation starts with 
um, John addressing seven different churches. And many people believe that the seven churches um, are represent, they're, they're literal churches, but they're also representative of church a- the church age. And, and we can study that, I hope, in, in the future. Um, the last church that he talks to is the church at Laodicea, the Laodicean age, if you will. This church age where Jesus says, you're neither you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's the, how he describes the church of Laodicea, and that's how many people would say today's church is. But this is also how he describes that church, dare I say, today's modern church. He says, I say, or, or he's like, I'm telling you, he says, I'm sorry, he says, I'm telling you, you say, you, you the church people, have this, this mindset, I'm rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. And yet you don't even realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That sounds impossible, right? How do you not know that you're blind? (laughs) Come on. How do you not know that you're blind? Well, if it was just talking about physically, that would be pretty hard. But the fact that this is actually alluding to a spiritual condition. And now remember, he's talking to the church. So the church is the bride of Christ. So they are, they have a relationship with Jesus. But they are not living for Jesus. And so they have become blind to their situation. They have become blind to the circumstances that they are living in. They think they're good. You say, I'm good. I got it all. <laughs> going to church, <laughs> I'm not as mean as I used to be, you know, I swear a little bit less than I used to, you know, I mean, like, man, there's a lot of good stuff going on here, and by the way, that's all good, that's great, but he's saying it's made you blind to the fact of what you really need, you're not even aware, Paul was so convinced that the enemy was those other people, that was those church people in, in Damascus, Those followers of the way, they're the enemy. And the whole time, he was an enemy of God. He didn't understand. And then once he came to know Jesus, God has to change his heart for all the preconceived wrong mentality that he had. Because although he's seen the light, he's not going to live it because he's still got all that old stuff in him. I'm not talking about Paul anymore. Just because you've seen the light doesn't mean you start living in the light. Just because you know who Jesus is doesn't mean you look like Jesus in your day-to-day interactions. Why? Because you grew up the way you grew up. You grew up with the biases that you grew up with. You grew up feeding your flesh. Whatever age you are that you get saved, you have that many years worth of bad habits. You have all of those things that, that have become part of how you think, how you operate. That's why Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the way you think, the renewing of your mind. So how do I see things different? How do I, how do I think differently? Verse number six, go back to our story. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Get up, go. Do you know that that was the same command that Jesus gave his disciples? I want you to go. Stop sitting there. Now if this was us and we were Paul or Saul, Woe is me. I just I can't see anymore. This sucks. I, I can see it now. I can't see. Or, oh, I'm the worst. I, I was killing Christians and now I am a Christian. I just, I, my past is too big. I can't believe it. I just regret it. You understand how this is, this is exactly how 
The devil loves to work in our life. We talked about this last week. He does not want you to take any shots for God. Because every shot that you take, every act of obedience is a win, is something that God can use to change somebody else's life. So if Saul never gets up and goes, if Saul wallows in self-pity, if Saul is filled with regret about the fact that he was a, a murderer of Christians, if Saul sits there and listens to, to the devil tell him, everybody knows what you used to do, your reputation, you'll never overcome that. You can never be good from here on out. If he does what most of us would have done, he just lays there. But God told him and he told his disciples and he tells us, go ye therefore into the uttermost parts of the world you go and tell people who i am and what i've done and you point them to me that's the great commission do you know that god gave them that that in acts 1 8 and then by the time you get to acts chapter 8 they're all still hanging out in jerusalem so god sends persecution and it scatters them and i shouldn't say that god sent it i, I should say god allowed it to happen because he was protecting them and they just got real comfortable, like, let's just tell our friends, and we all just stay right here in Jerusalem. Harbor Church. There might be a campus that needs to get planted that may not be this one. You may not have all the things that you want there, but you need to take the gospel message to the people that need it. Whether it's comfortable or not, he said, go. This is already teaching Saul that he's not the boss anymore. Hey, if you're really going to follow Jesus, do what I tell you to do. Next verse, or not next verse, verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord, in this cool passage, decides that he will use a random nobody from a local church who's willing to say yes, Lord, to go out and bless somebody and change the lives of everybody else from there on. Just took one person in the local church willing to say, God, use me. We don't have anything else about an Ananias, about all the schooling he went to and all the stuff he had. He was somebody in his local church, the local church body of Damascus, who God said, I want you to go, I want you to go pray over somebody. I want you to be the kind of person in the local church that when God says, hey, there's a stranger down here who needs prayer, it's the middle of the night and you're going to have to drive to their house to, to be a blessing to them. We need a church that's filled with more people who would say yes. That's what the local church does. See, God in this moment is changing the perception of the local church, and he's changing the perception of Paul towards the local church. By the way, after this encounter, Paul goes to start more local churches than anybody else. He literally starts the very entity that he was commission to stop he was on mission to kill the local church and then god says i'm going to use the local church to heal you and then you're going to start more of them you guys do understand i'm not talking about him right you do understand that's our story right that we are broken and away from god and we're blind and then yet god used somebody who was part of his local church to bring the message of jesus christ and when that person shared whether it was a track or a, an invitation to an easter service or sat down with you at lunch or as a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a neighbor somebody said i've got jesus you should have him too he uses people who are part of his bride the local church to reach out into the broken world around him 
says, this is the hope that they have, is that somebody who's found Jesus goes and shows them how they can know and follow him more, and this is how it will spread. It's all coming back to Paul has to see the local church a different way, and the people in the local church have to start seeing the world outside of them in a different way. That's what God uses. And in doing this, he is curing blindness. He's curing blindness. Ananias was blind to what God could do through people outside of the church. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said, church person? That maybe God wants to use somebody who's not here right now, and he wants to use you to help them see what benefit there is to be a part of this. He's changing the way the Ananiases see their responsibilities in the church. He's changing the way Ananiases see the, the non-members of their church, the outsiders, if you will. And he's changing somebody who's on the outside looking in, going, I don't know if I can belong to something like that. Because, see, God doesn't have the biases and the preset, you know, decisions where we're like, oh, we got all this. He, he sees what we don't see. He's not limited to our in-the-weeds view. Look on the next verse. The Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to the other people. Just go. There it is again. Saul, who are you going to listen to? I'm telling you to go. Ananias, stop making excuses for why you're so scared about why you can't do what I'm telling you to do. Go. Go what? Go take my message to my messenger with my plan for what's going to happen next. Because Ananias, fill in your name here, it's not about you. I don't say that out of anger. I say that as your pastor going, gosh, we keep getting this so wrong. We keep doing life like we are the center of every decision that needs to be. What makes me happy today? And what makes, what, make, what, makes me, what makes me feel good? What will, make, what will make me more money or more friends or more people like me or fill in the blank? And God's going, it's my message to my messenger, and it should be from one of my messengers. If you're really mine, stop looking at it through the lens of how do you feel about it and just start going with the attitude of God called me to, so I go. If he said it, then we're supposed to do it. There is no, if he said it and I like it, then I go do it. Because then you won't do anything. So he says, go. Once again, go. Verse 17. So Ananias went and he found Saul. And he laid his hands on him. And he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He called him brother. See this perspective change? Can you imagine? Can you imagine putting your hand on Saul, not knowing if he's going to kill you for this or not, and calling him brother? You won't even shake hands with people when we dismiss. You just go to your car. Why? Because you do not understand the value of what God has put in his local church. Well, you're just trying to hype harbor. No, I'm not. Any local church that is called out in a called out assembly of people who know and follow Jesus and point other people to Jesus, that's God's plan for the gospel message to reach the world. It's, the, it's next to a relationship with Jesus, it's the next most valuable thing that you can have in your life. 
And I know you don't appreciate it because you come in late and you leave early. You've reduced church to being some type of religious performance. You skip the songs because they're just like previews. Skip the end because it's just the credits, man. I did it. I checked the box. God's got to bless me because I did church. You don't understand church. You don't understand what's supposed to be happening here. I'm not saying this to you out of anger. And I'm not saying this to you so harbor grows from you. You go anywhere that preaches Jesus. It doesn't have to be here. But go get plugged in because the Bible says that God has designed you to be a part of a body. And there is no part of our bodies that if you cut it off and remove it, it does better. I don't care if you're the head or you're the heart or you're the knee or you're the hand. Whatever part you think you are, cut it off and see how good it does without the body. Yet there's so many of us that are like, I'll go to church, but I don't want to be a part of a church. We hand out every couple of months, we hand out an opportunity for you to be a member, but you treat that harder than you treat your gym membership or your Netflix membership. Those ones, those ones actually get your bank account and, and withdraw money whether you ever show up or not. And you sign up for that, but when I say, hey, you need to be a part of the local church, you're like, oh, it's too much commitment. I don't need that kind of accountability. Yeah, you do, because spiritually you're blind. You are. And listen, you, you can sit there and be like, well, I don't like where this is going. Yeah, that's okay. I don't like preaching it, but like we're going to have the conversation anyways because I, I, my longest time, I didn't ever want to be a part of a church. I love God. I thought God was great. I thought church people sucked. And then God called me to plant a church. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> See, Hebrews 10, verse 24 says this. Let us think, and he's talking about the church, Church members, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Can you imagine if church people used their imagination, their creativity, not to gossip, not to complain, not to be hypocrites, the things that we're most known for, but what if we used all of our imagination and all of our creativity, instead of whining and being angry at all the news that we watch or who didn't vote our way or who doesn't look the way we want them to, what if we used all of that energy and all that, that emotion and all of that imagination simply to come up with ways, let us think of ways to motivate each other to do something good. Let me, let me use all of that that I normally use for selfishness and whining and complaining and in my anxiety, let me use all of that energy to come up with a way to make you happy so that you feel motivated to go do some good stuff. Can you imagine how, how, how churches would revolutionize the communities they're in? I get it. It looks dark. Everything that we see on TV, everything, every news you watch is just one more idiot doing one more dumb thing. And you're like, I can't believe it. So what's our response? I'm sick and tired of Christians being like, I'm moving out of here. Why? God didn't call you to take the light and go hide with other lights. He said, shine in the darkness. Be a city set on a hill. If your neighborhood is dark, shine brighter. If your workplace is toxic, shine brighter. If your family is making horrible choices and your friends are getting further away from God, shine brighter. Stop sticking your head in the sand going, well, I've got Jesus, so I'm good. No, he's, he hasn't called you to heaven. He's called you to be a light. And if you keep hiding it, then what good are you doing? You are spiritually, you, you, are, you are in a, a place 
where there are people around you who are spiritually blind and you who have Jesus are not shining the light to let them see, you are just literally holding it back because you have your own blindness. You are blind to the mission that God has put you on. He uses the local church to do that. He sends, he sends out the man Ananias to tell him, to tell Paul, hey, I'm here with that very group that you hated. Because you know how many people around us are like, they drive down the road and they're like, those idiots going to church i would never do that they're just Saul's that see no value to the local church and by the way they are your neighbor they drive by here and they don't even know that's your car out there but they think every car here is an idiot and then they just need to have a conversation they'll find out you really are kind of dumb but that's okay (laughs) you figured out something that they haven't and god might have put them next door to you Years ago, just so that there can be a conversation with him tomorrow, that points him to him. Go back to the story. Afterward, he ate some food. By the way, great way to bond with somebody if you're looking for ways to be a better neighbor and or friend or coworker or fill in the blank. Bring him food. Um, and he regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. He came to kill the church and then he joined it. He thought they were the problem. Are you ready? And God showed him that the church was the solution. He had to change the way he saw things. He was never going to come out of that blindness until he got the benefits of the body, the local body of Christ. I mean this, and I know you're going to be like, this is an extreme. The people who claim that they are followers of Christ, but they are not plugged in, I mean really plugged into a local church, They are blind sheep wandering out there. Do you know how long blind sheep last in the wilderness? Sheep themselves don't last in the wilderness if they're not part of a flock that's protected by a shepherd. And yet there are so many people who claim, I'm a Christian, I'm just not going to get plugged into the church. Don't even get me started, those of you in your pajamas watching this right now. (laughs) If you are physically healthily able to come you should be here i get it if you're sick you can't make it that's that's a different circumstance or you're traveling but you've reduced church to being something you check box you don't understand the value of it see first timothy or second timothy paul the guy who we're talking about later writes to his protege before he dies he writes to his protege he says hey here's how you got it here's how here's what you need to understand if you're going to be a a pastor if you're going to be a missionary he says, you need to preach the word of God, and you got to be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, be instant in season and out of season, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. That's my responsibility, and anybody else here who is called to, to shepherd. I'm working on a message, I don't know when we're going to get to it, I'm working on a message of the gifts that God has given the church, and some of us are shepherds. Some of us have other responsibilities, but if you're going to do that, you're called to correct, rebuke, and encourage. What that means is you have to be willing to receive correction and rebuke and encouragement. But if you don't ever want to be a part of a church because, you know, it's too much of a commitment, can't handle that authority, that shepherding, you're going to miss out on having your vision corrected to where it is that God has for you. He will move his flock And he's called you to be a part of a flock. And once again, this isn't about harbor. 
if you don't like Harbor Church or this isn't the mission for you or you're visiting from out of town, take this to your local church. As long as it is promoting Jesus Christ, salvation through Christ and Christ alone, that's a church you should get behind with their mission. And encourage them and help them. And if you don't have that church or you can't find a church like that, then I hope that you would join Harbor. And we're going to plant more churches, as many as God will let us plant. Our goal is to bring together people and, and have these flocks of people who are sold out. I'm the under-shepherd. Christ is the head of the church. He's our head shepherd. I have to give an account. This is what it says in Hebrews 13, 7. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. I have to give an account whether I, what I preach. So if I preach something that ticks you off, I would rather tick you off than tick God off. So if you're upset, but it's what God told me to tell you, I'll deal with you being upset. And I say that with love. You, by the way, you don't want me to care more about your feelings than God's commands. You don't want that, Pastor. You think you do, but you don't. Anyways, they have to give an account for God. Give your spiritual leaders reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Because if they do it with sorrow, that certainly wouldn't be for your benefit. What he's saying there is he's saying, hey, listen, if you hear stuff that you don't like to hear, it may not be that they're trying to pick on you. It may be that your pastor's trying to help you see things that you don't clearly see because you've been blind to it for a while. And God is just using that man or that woman, that, that mentor, that person in your small group, that Christian who loves you, who grabbed coffee with you. He might just be using them to help you see something that you can't see right now. He's, helping, he's, he's using them to help you change your perspective because like Paul, you've had blinders on and you think you know something and you don't really know it. But once you start to figure it out, it's amazing how it all comes together. Watch our contestants start to get some yes answers and start to get an idea, and then we'll come back and we'll close. Do you have two feet, two legs? Yes. Are you a girl? Yes. On your left ear, do you have more than one earring? Yes. Do you have um, brown eyes? Yes. Do you live on the Cape? Do you live on Cape? Yes. As long as I beat Marilyn. It's clear you have one goal in mind here. <laughs> to beat Marilyn? Yes. Do you have brown hair? Do you have brown hair? Yes. Does your hair part in the middle? Yes. Is your hair long? Do you have long hair? Yes. Okay, so you have long hair. Do you have curly hairs? Do you have curly hair? Yes. No problem. <laughs> right on top. Do you have highlights in your hair? Yes. Do you have a round face? Yes. Do you go to the 8 o'clock service? Yes. Do you serve the 9.30 service? Yes. We're the note-taking face. Nice. Would I ever invite you to my house? <laughs> Don't up there. Um. Leggings on? Yes. Are you wearing a necklace? Yes. Is there a cross on it? Yes. Children that go here? Yes. Are you on the worship team? Yes. So you sing and you sing, so that narrows it down. Are you on staff? Do you have most of your teeth? Yes. Okay, good, good. When you smile, do you smile with your teeth? Yes. Do, you, if, do people ever say, hey, you've got a really pretty smile? Mm. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay. 
She's humble. Mm. Um, the facial expression is spot on. It's like Halloween. Yeah. Right? Well, I hope you have green earrings. I didn't really Ten, ask that one. Nine. All right, we're done. Eight. Seven, no pressure. As long as I beat Marilyn. Five. There we go. Time. I think it. you nailed it. I did nail it. I gotta say. Something to be proud of for sure. <laughs> we will put that on display at Harbor forever and ever. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one, and time. Yay! If you would sign your artwork with that Sharpie. Okay. And then you are all set. I'm done. Yes. As long as I beat Marilyn, as long as I beat Marilyn, as long as I beat Marilyn. No. So, how do I start figuring this out? How do I get to the point where I'm getting some answers so I can start putting something on my canvas? Because we talked about it. We talked about prayer and how we pray, and we talked about finding the steps, and this feels like more of that same journey. What step do I take? Well, the Bible says that, that God created a, a roadmap for your life and that everything he has is there for you. So then if that's true, and I'm, I understand that I have to have a boldness to take every shot, to take the step when he gives me the opportunity to take the step, why, Josh, do I feel right now, and, and this, is, this is, this I think is true for more of us than we want to admit, why do I feel like I'm so uncertain about what's ahead? Why do I still feel like I'm in the dark? Well, the Bible says, that he gives us a, a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. He doesn't say he gives us a clear picture of the end destination. Now, I can't answer for you, but I can answer that there's many a time where God says, take this step. And I look and I go, but I don't see where it ends. So why don't you show me the end result? And God goes, that's not faith. See, remember, faith is, is, is the evidence of what I can't see. And so when you're sitting here and you're going, oh, I'm, I'm in spiritual darkness, I'm in spiritual blindness, that, that is not something that God wants for you. He wants you to understand that he doesn't have to give you every clear step, but he said he will always give you a step. There's no temptation taking you that, that there isn't a step out of. There is always, listen to me, there's always a next right step to take. The reason it'll scare you is because in faith, you say, God has told me to take this step. I will take this step. But it feels like this is a path I don't want to go on. This path feels scary, and I can't see where it ends up. So God, uh, are you sure? That's Ananias. Do you know who Saul is, God? Do you know what he does? Do you understand, God, that this thing you're asking? God, do you know that I haven't talked to that uncle or aunt in years? God, do you know that that neighbor has told me they hate God? God, do you understand that my, my coworker, all they do is find ways to, to pick on me and you want me to be nice to him? God, you, you understand this step of forgiveness? Do you know what they did to me? See, we have all of these reasons why taking the step won't work. And what we say is, well, I'm blind to what's supposed to happen. No, no, God gave you the next right step. He's just not going to give you the next 20 because that's not faith. And what I know I do is I stand still going, well, I will trust you, God, when I see more. And he goes, that's not trust. Here's your next right step. You might be blind to everything out there, but I have given you a path to go forward in, and I will make sure that you see the next clear step. Are you willing to take it? Do you have the courage, the faith, the trust in me to take it? Immediately, verse 20, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. 
there is zero time limit on when you start sharing your testimony. Zero. He had been a believer for three days and he started telling people about Jesus. As soon as he got his sight, as soon as he got that, that relationship with the local church through Ananias, he got plugged in. He said, okay, how do I start sharing? He got baptized and he said, I'm, I'm sharing, man. I'm sharing. I'm telling everybody what Jesus did. Do you know you don't have to have any training for that? You don't have to go to Bible college for that. You don't have to memorize passage after passage to share your testimony. That unless you're a liar, <laughs> you can't screw it up. It's literally, this is what Jesus did to me. This is how he changed my life. Every single one of us can start taking that step of faith right now and sharing. Here's what I want you to understand. God says that we'll struggle with that if we're not tuned into who he is. He he actually described himself. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, God's taken a step on the path. And if you know his voice, you step behind him because he's the shepherd. And by the way, you have to be in a flock to have a shepherd. And you have to be in tune with the shepherd to know the voice. It doesn't say my sheep see me. And so they walk where they've seen me walk. It says they hear me and they know my voice. Because you may never get to see it, but you hear it. You feel God. Even right now, some of you feel him poking you in the heart. He's got something for you to do. He's got a step for you to take. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I have an eternal relationship, he says, with my, feet and with my sheep. I've saved them from the spiritual blindness. Now, if they will just continue to trust me and go where I lead. But you will not follow where he leads unless you're used to hearing his voice. Some of you hear way too many voices. You have way too many voices coming into your life. That's why you need a healthy environment and a steady inflow of God's voice in your life. Please do not use me and or this church as your only source of hearing from God. We do not gatekeep God's voice. You get his word. If you don't have a Bible, we will give you a free one. You need to get into it so you start to hear his voice so you can recognize at work, at school, every situation. God, is that from you? That doesn't sound like you. God, where's your voice? That's the step. I take this step. And you walk in the spirit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up because I want you to hear this last verse. That same chapter about the church in Laodicea, chapter 3 of Revelation, he says this later. He says in verse 19, I correct and I discipline everyone I love, so be diligent from your indifference. See, if you're standing here today and you go, I feel like I'm in darkness. I feel blind. Why is God doing this to me? He's not trying to punish you. He's not, he's not the author of confusion. He doesn't want you lost. He may be letting you go around the pen so that you get to a heart where you're willing to have an Ananias put his hand on you. So you're willing to go where you don't want to go. But he says, I do that out of love. I, I correct and discipline if I love you. Then he famously says the next verse, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
if you hear me knocking, you will not see me because I'm behind the door, but you don't have to see everything in order to trust. You have to be able to hear the voice. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and go into a, a place where you can block out all the visual distractions? With your eyes closed, it should be really dark right now. And in this darkness, I want you to ask God a question. God, am I seeing things the way you've called me to see them? I would imagine that in this moment, with your eyes closed, there's one of a couple things that God might be trying to tell you. There's some of you that if you, you just lean into that darkness right now, you will feel God poking you saying, we are not close. You have never surrendered your life to me. There is a part of hearing the voice of God where it's this small voice, this small poking of your heart where he's saying, I want more of you. His message for somebody here that's under the sound of my voice is the fact that he loved you enough to die for you. That you can't solve your, your sins. You can't forgive yourself of your mistakes. But he can. Because he already died to cover all of those. So what I'm going to ask you is if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never opened your heart to him, would you, would you see the light for the first time today? Would today be the day that you invite Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? If you would simply pray, God, forgive me. I've been doing things I shouldn't do. I, I have sin that I can't fix, but I believe you can. Lord, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Would you call the shots for my life? And I'm not a good enough God in, to, to do that, but I believe you are. Now, you don't have to say those exact words, but if you would pray something like that, I believe that the, that the Holy Spirit would come to live inside of you, that Jesus Christ would forgive you of your sins right now, immediately, in this moment, and that when you die one day in the future, you'll have a home in heaven with him. But you have to be willing to embrace the light. And for the rest of the people under the sound of my voice, which is many of you that claim to be a Christian, you already claim to be a follower of the way. Are you as surrendered to that voice as you say you are? Are you seeing things from God's perspective? Or are you still trying to look at it so that you understand everything? Because faith says that you can't understand it all. You have to move forward by trusting him. So maybe some of you just seem to simply pray, God, I'm sorry that I've been saying no when you've been saying go. Today, I'm, I'm going to do it that thing you've been calling me to do. God, you told me to step out and to love that person. You told me to have that tough conversation. God, you told me to start giving my, my tithes and offerings. God, you told me that I need to, to embrace that coworker. God, you told me I need to be more generous with my spouse. God, you told me I need to start serving somewhere in your, in your body. God, I, I I just, I know you've been telling me a step and I've been saying no, but today I'm saying yes. Whatever it is, whatever God puts on your heart, as I pray out loud, would you pray quietly right where you are? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we come before you as people who were blind. God, there's so many of us that we were lost in spiritual darkness and then you found us. You 
called to us, Lord. There's so many people under the sound of my voice who right now, we celebrate the fact that we have a personal relationship with you. God, my heart breaks for the person, the boy, the girl, the man, the woman that doesn't have you as their their personal Savior, their Lord. They, they don't have a relationship with you, God. I pray for that person who right now is in spiritual darkness and you're calling out to them. Their battle isn't with this world. They're, they're battling against you and what you want is a relationship with them. God, I pray that they would embrace you right now in this moment as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a church filled with Ananiases, people who value belonging to something bigger than ourselves, where we're not afraid to, to correct or rebuke or to encourage, but we use all that you've given us as ways to, to help build people up to do good works. God, would you use the people in this room who are willing to trust you right now? God, would you use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our communities and our workplaces? God, would you help us walk out of this room? Would you help us leave this message looking more like Jesus than we started? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.